Acts chapter 2, I want to make a special request for all of us that as we begin Acts chapter 2, that we do not lose our minds. Okay? There's a lot of things in Acts chapter 2 that are specific to Acts chapter 2. Okay? They did happen. We can't gloss over them. But they're specific to Acts chapter 2. Let's read Acts chapter 2, if you would please. And we'll begin reading in verse 1. We'll go down through verse 14. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded, because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not these all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born, Parthians and Medes, Elamites, and the dwellers of Mesopotamia, and in Judea, and in Capamia, excuse me, and in Cappadocia, and Pontus, and Asia, and Phrygia, and Pamphylia, and Egypt, and in the parts of Libya about Cyrene, and strangers of Rome, Jews, and proselytes, Cretes, and Arabians. We do hear them speak in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others, mocking, said, These men are full of new wine. Again, do not lose your minds. Do not lose your minds. Here are the details, okay? I mean, people get all excited about the wind and the tongues and the sound and the light and all that kind of stuff. The local church was active and obedient. Active and obedient. Okay? So look back in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. That's what this whole portion of the Word of God is about. But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Immediately, immediately, after they had received these gifts, what did they do? Well, verse 11, we just read. We do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. This event, some people say that this was not a broadcasting of the gospel, but merely to get people's attention. Lies. Lies. In these tongues, they were immediately faithful to the words spoken by Christ himself in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Immediately. Immediately they were they were responsive to that command. So let's get back and, and work out some of the details of what happened here. Okay, you have and the title of this is Sound, Wind, Fire, and Tongues. Sound, Wind, Fire, and Tongues. That's that's what we read. Sound, Wind, Fire, and Tongues. So you see all this is happening within the context of the local church, okay? And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing wind, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Who was sitting? Was it the Jews? The church. The church. The 120. 
when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. It, it was a local church, authoritative body thing that happened. Now they were, when Christ said in chapter 1, verses 4 through 8, that they would, they would have asked, they would be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Here it says filled. It, it's talking about the same event. Okay? These are people who are already saved. It's a people that are already organized, they're already commanded, they're already commissioned. The Lord said he was going to be with them until the end of the age. He was already there, right? It was already, it was already a body in existence. But here, this local church experienced something that as we read it, you, you see there was a, a sound that it came from heaven. Now, some people say that wind, that it, that it, was, that it was a wind, that it was the sound of wind, Okay. Others say that it was a sound from heaven and associated with the sound of wind. Other people say that it was a wind. Okay, I lean toward that it was just the sound of wind, that it wasn't actually wind, but it was the sound of wind. Based on the reading, it says, And there came a, a sound from heaven as, a, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the house. What? Did the wind fill the house or the sound filled the house? I believe the sound filled the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire and a set upon each of them. What does that, um, what does that remind you of? We, what does that remind you of? Go back, if you would, please, to the book of Exodus. Exodus, chapter 19. Exodus, chapter 19. Here the children of Israel were out in Mount Sinai. Okay? The children of Israel. Now, there might have been other people way over there that saw some things and heard some things or whatever. But, but listen to what happened to the children of Israel. Sinai. Exodus chapter 19. And beginning reading with me. Let's see here. In verse number 16. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount. And the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud, so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. You see the parallel there. The people in the camp trembled at the sound. The people in the room trembled. They, 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 they were astonished. It was overwhelming, the sound. They knew it was from God. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the nether part of the mount. And Mount Sinai was altogether a smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in, a, in fire. And the smoke thereof ascended as a smoke of a furnace, and the whole mount greatly quaked. And the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder. And Moses spake, and God answered him by a voice. And the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mount. And the Lord called unto Moses on the top of the mount. And Moses went up. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go down, charge the people. Paul's right there. Isn't that... Pretty close to what happened in Acts chapters 1 and 2. God charged the people. By the mouth of God, he charged the people. And immediately at that charge in chapter 2 and verses 1, 2, and 3, you have a God-like sound. It says a sound from heaven. A God, the sound of God coming into them. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like a fire. And this wasn't fire that they had set on top of their heads. This, again, is the fires of God here. This wasn't exclusive to Peter and the apostles. Look in verse 2. It says, filled all the house where they were sitting, the 120. And it, it sat upon each of them, chapter 2 and verse 3. So this was, this was something 
just as much as God had God had evidenced himself to the Jews at Sinai, he was evidencing himself to the local assembly. Now, the Jews were always the people of God by promise, even way back to Genesis chapter 12. That's when we first received, hear those promises, isn't it? We first see those promises to the Jews specifically by way of Abraham. And the church was already in existence. But at Sinai, all these things were made real and plain, weren't they? Well, here in Acts chapter 2, all these things to a church already in existence were made real and plain. I think this is wonderful. It's an amazing thing. It really is. This fire. It's an easy. It's easy to note that the Lord, as he said, that he would start his church, he would be with his church, and he would continue in his church until the end of the age. I believe, if we're really serious about our studies, that this is an easy parallel to what the Lord said again to the Jews. Again, I'm not saying that that the church is the new is new Israel. I'm not. I'm not saying that at all. But I. I want you to see the parallel here. That our mind should say just as much as He had made promises unto Israel, He made promises unto His church. And and look in Exodus chapter number forty, and verse thirty-eight. For the cloud of the Lord was upon the tabernacle by day, and fire was on it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel, throughout all their journeys. So while in the New Testament there wasn't a fire above Peter, James, and John's head throughout all their journeys, the fire here above all their heads in in the local assembly should have been a ready and easy illustration by God to that assembly that God was with them and he would continue to be with them until the end of the age verifying his promises. This was an amazing thing that was shown to the local church. And you saw... This is a one-time occurrence, but look at what happens. Again, be reminded immediately in this one-time occurrence when the Lord said in chapter 1, verse 8, you shall receive power or ability after the Holy Ghost has come unto you and you shall be witnesses unto me. Then immediately after they were given ability to be witnesses of him, they were out and being witnesses unto him. We do, again, chapter 2 and verse 11, we do hear them speak in in our tongues the wonderful works of God. They could have been talking. I don't believe they were talking about this, that, or the other. The wonderful works of God, specifically the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's right, bro. I believe this is a one-time occurrence. I don't believe that, in a local sense, that there's a mighty rushing wind coming into assemblies and 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 people are speaking in in, in various tongues and and there's a noise from heaven and and that that. That, the, uh, that, that there are cloven tongues of fire above our heads. I don't believe that happens today. We have God's Word. God breathed. The Word of God. But I want to ask you something. Is what we do today any less of an event than what happened in Acts chapter 2? That was an amazing event. I don't want to downplay it. That was an amazing event. But what was the thrill of Acts chapter 2 verses 1 through 14? The people of God speaking... The wonderful works of God. That's the thrill of Acts chapter one, or chapter chapter two, verses one. Excuse me, chapter two, verses one through fourteen. He said, "You shall receive ability." In chapter one, verse eight, "You shall receive power, ability to be my witnesses." So, what's what's more important, the power or ability or the witness? Right. Well, in the gospel, what receives emphasis? 
What receives the emphasis? Go to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Jesus Christ himself gives us the answer to that. What receive? What is to receive the glory and the honor? Look in Acts chapter 15 and verse 26. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father. He's speaking of the event that we're reading about this morning. Even the Spirit of truth, which proceeded from the Father, he shall testify of me. What did they do? They spoke the wonderful works of God in Jesus Christ. He shall testify of me. So the Holy Spirit, and we'll touch on this again in a few minutes, he spoke truth. He spoke obediently to God. He spoke the testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he did so in such a way that it was easy to understand for those present. That's amazing. In this one-time occurrence of those special of those special signs, the fire and the sound, it was an authentication and empowering, and it happened exactly one time in history, exactly one time. The next generation didn't need that. Okay, so if you read this, if you just sat down and read the first two chapters of the book of Acts in one reading, it took 15 minutes to do that. The, when the, when the, the, the next generation of believers is saved in, second, in the second chapter, verses 41 and 42, then they that gladly received the word were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in cloven tongues and in the mighty wind and the fire and the wind? No. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and the fellowship and breaking of bread and prayers. What's the greater thing? It appears as though that the speaking in tongues and the, and, and the empowerment was all a tool of God to, to broadcast the gospel. That's, that's what it was about. And it was an authentication and empowering of the local church. I believe between uh, verses uh, one, one, uh, excuse me, verses four and five, and they were, they were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance, and they, they were dwelling at Jerusalem, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now, when this is noised abroad, in those verses, I believe they immediately scattered, broadcasting the wonderful works of God. I, I really do believe that. I believe that there is those that say they experience. These events in modern times are liars. There is no further need of an authentication or empowering of the local's assembly. He already did that. Just as much as there was no need for the Lord to meet Israel a second time at Sinai and further give them instruction. He didn't do that. He did it once. I believe the Lord empowered his assembly by way of the Holy Spirit. And it was it was authenticated. It was already in existence, but authenticated. In chapter 2, there is no further need of this. There is no further need. Now, at times, did people speak in tongues? Yes. I mean, we can, we can see in, uh, in, in Acts chapter 10, when Peter went to the house of Cornelius, and he preached to them, and they began speaking in tongues. They said, hey, look, they got the same thing we got. Look over there in Acts chapter 11, if you would, please, just for a moment. Acts chapter 11. This was an authentication that the, the Gentiles had been saved, right? But this wasn't a re-empowering of the local assembly. Look at Acts chapter, let's, let's back up just for a minute. Acts chapter 10, that way we, we get the fullness of what's going on here. Acts chapter 10, verse 44. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. 
Now, they, look at the flow of this. And they of the circumcision, which believed, were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God, then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water? So these people had not received baptism yet. But it authenticated, because Peter, if you go back and read chapter 10, he saw this vision of these animals coming down, clean and unclean, and the Lord said, go, go unto them. There is no more clean and unclean. Go to the Gentiles. So he says, can any man forbid water? This was an authentication and, and to Peter that, yes, God had indeed extended grace to the Gentiles. Keep reading this. That these things should be, that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then he prayed them to tarry certain days. Now look, if you would, in chapter 11, verses 15 and 16. And as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning. Well, the beginning of what? Chapter 2. It wasn't the beginning of the church, but the beginning of this process here. At the beginning of the book of Acts. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, Indeed, baptize with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. So, again, authentication. The Holy Spirit authenticated by the promise of Jesus Christ that the assembly that Christ had already established was indeed just that. And he gave them empowerment, ability at this time. Is there a need for, uh, for him to do that again? Well, let me ask you this. Has the, did the Lord ever lie? Or did the Lord ever withdraw himself from his assembly? Because if the Lord had ever withdrawn himself from his assembly, then yeah, he needs to come down and empower it and authenticate it again. Then Jesus Christ is a liar because he said it would continue until the end of the age. You see, you see how we start getting into some paradoxes, if, then? No, if, if he empowered the local assembly and authenticated the local assembly in Acts chapter 2, it's a done deal, irrevocable. Until the end of the age. It's not, it's not needed continually. And if, 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 the, if the Lord's assembly faded out into nowhere and then up started something else, then we should expect that a mighty, that a sound from heaven as a mighty rushing wind come into that assembly. And we should also expect that those people be authenticated with flaming things above their heads as tongues. And, and, and speak in various tongues, and God himself authenticate that thing on earth. I've told you all there's been three reformations on earth in the course of humanity. First reformation, Adam sinned. God himself clothed him. He made sacrifice for, for the sins of people. The second reformation, God himself descended upon Mount Sinai and said, Okay, Acts chapter, excuse me, Exodus chapter 20 through, through chapter 31, 20 through 31, this is how you're going to worship me. Christ in the flesh came, established his church. Luke chapter 6 said, this is how you're going to worship me. Authenticated in Acts chapter 2. Filling with the Holy Spirit. It was, this was evident. This was evident in the, quote, baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is not salvation. These people were already saved. They had already believed. In John chapter 3, the Lord said, You must be born again, right? And he mentions the Holy Spirit as a wind that bloweth where he listeth. Acts, John chapter 3, verses 3 through 8. So these are people that already believed. This is the assembly. They were fully come. They were all together in one accord in one place. Chapter 2, verse 1. They, were, they didn't need salvation. 
This is not the beginning of the Lord's church because they were already in existence. Again, in one accord, in one place, commanded by God and commissioned by God himself, Jesus Christ. But they spoke in tongues, and that word tongue means language or dialect. It doesn't mean blah, 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 blah. It means tongue or language. You've got to be super careful. That's right. Because there's times where, you know, I may, you know, I said blah, 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 blah. But there's times where I, I, you know, I can think myself, and I, I can start using words that maybe some people don't understand, right? I, like Brother DeWitt said, I've got to make sure that I, that, that I don't bore the whites half to death who have been in the assembly longer than, than I've been alive. But also I've got to make sure a six-year-old back here can understand what's being said. I, I've, I've got to use language that's understandable, right? So these people, they were using language. As, look at this. This is so important. As the Spirit gave them utterance in verse 4. As the Spirit gave them utterance, speaking truth, speaking obedience to God, speaking testimony of Christ... They were speaking in a language that other people could understand. And this did grab the attention of the outside multitude. They were Jews. And in chapter 2 and verse 5, and they were dwelling at Jerusalem, Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. What does that mean? These Jews were foreign born. Okay? They were foreign born. And being foreign born, they would have had a multitude of languages. And these people, the languages are, are named, and we're going to we're going to read through the languages, and I'll give you a somewhat of an idea here in just a few minutes. But these people, they, they, they you know, okay, so I know some people that speak Spanish, and they don't speak the all, all the same kind of Spanish because they're different. For they're, they're from different parts of Mexico, and then there's a Spanish kind of a, uh, uh, or excuse me, from Spain type of Spanish, and and, and even sometimes they have a difficult time. Uh, speaking with one another. So while these people from different regions might be close, it's not the same. So they spoke with all these different languages. But what also you have to you have to think about this just in a in a practical sense. They didn't go to one person and speak to them in their language and go to another person and speak in their language and go to another person and speak in their language. They spoke one time and every man heard in his own language. Read verse six. Now, when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. So what if every one of y'all spoke a different language and none of y'all could understand one another? And as I preached, every person heard in their own language the wonderful works of God. That's what happened in Acts chapter 2. Again, this foolishness that goes on up and down the road, that's not what happened in Acts chapter 2 at all, whatsoever. But it says it was noised abroad. How? If they sat in that upper room with the sound of the wind and the fire and all that wonderful stuff going on, but didn't go out and tell anybody what had just happened and the wonderful works of God, how would that be noised abroad? You see how this comes real close to personal and right in our own laps right now? We understand the same wonderful works of God. We have the same wonderful truths. We have the same wonderful and terrible, meaning awesome, responsibility to make known the wonderful works of God to every creature. Every creature. Immediately we can see that they were obedient. Again, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you shall be witness of me. When you receive the Holy Ghost, and he shall come upon you, you'll get ability, and you shall be my witness. The tongues were intended for outside ears. 
That's another flaw of what goes on in these other assemblies. They come together and secretly and quietly speak all this gibberish and nobody understands what's going on. Oh, but it never happens in public. These tongues were intended for outside ears. Who is the gospel intended for? Yes, we are to reassure one another in the gospel. But when he said, go ye, he didn't say go home. He was saying go out. The gospel was intended for outside ears. Yes, inside ears, outside ears. They all, they, they, and it says that they were Galileans. They already, they already spoke the same language. They already, knew, they already believed. They were already in one accord. They could already communicate with one another. What would be the purpose of tongues? What would be the purpose of these languages being evident there if it were not for outside ears? It's intended for outside ears. The gospel of Jesus Christ is intended for outside ears. Its intention is just that. The use of tongues was immediately employed as a tool of grace. So, again, people up and down the road, they say, if you can't speak in tongues, you can't do this and you can't do that. Where's the grace in that? The intention of the tool of tongues was to be utilized as a mechanism or a tool of grace to bring, uh, to, to, to bring light unto the Gentiles, as it was spoken of Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 2. Right? The light to lighten the Gentile. Those who were of, a, of, a, of an unknown tongue. We should be careful of how we use our language too. And language, yes, by the mouth, but body language and all these different things. We should be speakers and language givers of, as tools of grace for the, the wonderful works of God. You notice also in verse 6, it says, they, every man, heard them speak in his own language. Again, this is significant. I cannot reiterate enough. This is not re- re- gibberish or repetitive consonants. There was a guy that I know. I had lunch with him one day. He invited me just to have a conversation. What's going on? He said he went to one of these UPC, United Pentecostal uh, Colleges. And one of the first things that they were doing is teaching him how to teach other people how to speak in tongues. And that's when he resigned. He withdrew himself out of that college. Because if this isn't truly an endowment of the Holy Spirit, these people didn't have to go to Bible college or a UPC college to learn how to speak in tongues and repetitive sounds. No, this is as the Spirit gave them utterance. And I'm not the Holy Spirit, so I'm not going to try to teach you how to teach in other tongues. Listen to what, listen to what the significance here, every man hearing in his own language. Listen to what John Gill said about uh, Galileans. And, and I'm, just going to, I'm just going to quote him. It said, he says, regarding the, what happened in, in verses 6 through 8, the Galileans were rude, unpolished, and unlearned men who had never been through any school and, and, or had any kind of schooling or learning and had never learned any language but their own tongue. And they pronounced with all ill grace and in every odd manner, in a very odd manner, and which made the thing more astonishing unto the hearer. Listen to what was said concerning Peter. Meaning, these are a bunch of old roughnecks. They didn't go to You ever met somebody who didn't go very far in school and just listen to them talk? You know, it's, it's unpolished. I mean, listen to me, and that's what I sound like. Mark chapter, but look at, listen to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14 and verse 70. Mark chapter 14 and verse 70. He denied it again, Peter. And a little after, they, stood, they that stood by said, 
again to Peter, Surely thou art one of them, for thou art a Galilean, and thy speech agreeeth thereto. How you talk tells us where you're from. So in Acts chapter 2, well, these people were Galileans. You know, in verse 7, and they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not these which speak Galileans? Now, if Layla over here in the first grade started telling Bobby over here how to do intricate, long, long math, you know, all these things that she's, you know, that'd be an amazing thing, wouldn't it? Speak, being able to articulate a language that she had never learned, and it was impossible for her to know at her age of development. That would, that would be, that'd be a, is it, she's only six years old. They were astonished because these people were Galileans, and yet they were, they were, Artistic. They were able to articulate. But listen again. Listen again to that word language. That word language. It doesn't just mean, or that word, uh, that word uh, tongue, it doesn't just mean language, but it also means dialect. Okay? So I'm trying to learn Spanish. And if I try to use some of the Spanish, some of these people that know Spanish over at the clinic here, they make fun of me because although I'm saying the word, I'm not saying it right. Yeah. Right? I don't have the dialect. They were speaking every man perfectly according to the language, and these were unlearned men, Galileans. What's the perp- what's the point of all this? It truly does manifest it's a work of God. Amen. This work was amazing. Not only were they communicating in tongues, but simultaneously to others in their own language, in their own dialect, as if they had been born there. So these crude men were speaking to multiple people. They were speaking all at once. They were hearing all at once. The speakers speaking in a multitude and diverse uh, ways, they heard all at once. It's an amazing thing that happened. The diversity, and we're just going to go through these people. The Parthians, it's a district of Asia. The Medes, also a district of Asia. The Elamites, that's near the Persian Gulf. Mesopotamia, that's north and east. Between the Tigris and Euphrates, that's where Abram was called out of. Judea, that's the country around Jerusalem. Cappadocia is in Asia Minor. You remember those seven churches over there in in, in the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3? Well, Cappadocia is over there in Asia Minor near all that stuff. Pontus, also a district in Asia Minor. Remember all those churches over there. Asia referred to the Orient all over in the east. This is Phrygia and Pamphylia. You see the, the, the Egyptians to the south, Libya also in Africa, the strangers or the Gentiles of Rome. Proselyte. What's the word proselyte? Please, please write this down. Proselyte. It means a Gentile converted to Judaism. Okay? A Gentile converted to Judaism. Sometimes we read these words and we hear them and we think we know what they mean, but you know it's just a fancy way of saying a Gentile converted Judaism. I strongly encourage you not to become a proselyte to Judaism, a convert to Judaism. Crete, it's an isle off of Greece, an island off of Greece. And the Arabians, the sons of Ishmael, those, those that uh, would call upon Abraham as their father, the, you know, Islamic as we know them today, all there, all there. That's a diverse crowd, isn't it? We don't have as much of a diverse crowd when we speak, when we go out into the community, when we go to spring in the big thicket and stand out there in the corner and and we speak to those and our influence and all this kind of stuff. We we don't have near the same diversity, but we do have diversity. 
We have, we have those that are just without religion. There, we have those that call upon knowingly false gods, gods that are not. You know, we've got Wiccans right around the corner and all over the place here, devil worshipers. There are people around here that say that they, uh, just as there are those that went to Jerusalem to say they worship God, just like those in John chapter 2 when the Lord Jesus Christ built a scourge, it made a scourge and started whipping people. They thought they were worshiping God, yet religiously unsaved. All these people were unsaved that they were talking to, but diverse in their background. But the Lord's assembly went out and talked to every one of them, didn't they? All manner of people. You know what's amazing? If you look at all this group, there was at least 3,000 people. At least 3,000. Acts chapter 2, verse 41 then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Well, that's quite an, quite an event. It's totally possible that every single person they spoke to by the power of God believed unto salvation. Totally possible. It's also totally possible that only a remnant, according to grace, were saved that day. It's totally possible. Look, look at, look at uh, the book of Romans. Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11, verse 5. Romans chapter 11, verse 5. Even so then at this present time, and I believe I can say it just as assuredly right now, even so at this present time also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. Who was saved? Was it the majority? Was it all? Was it the remnant according to grace? I can't tell you for sure. You've seen this illustration before. How much is a remnant? Look up here. That's a remnant. Was it this much out of the total? Was it the vast majority that day in verse 13 that were mocking, saying these people are crazy, they're full of new wine, and ha, ha, ha? Was it the remnant? I believe the remnant is saved today. And I don't say that arrogantly, and I don't say that with any type of pride. I believe it's the remnant, according to grace, that God has always saved. But he does save, and that is a wonderful thing. You look at the acknowledgement here in chapter 2 and verses 11 and 12. Again, the Cretes and the Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues. They were all religiously unsaved. They were there to worship in Pentecost. And we know that they're unsaved because when Peter starts addressing them and the intention and maybe the will of God that, that we get to Peter's address next time, we know they're unsaved because of what he says to them. You by wicked hands. You have crucified and slain. But they confessed that the work of tongues was the work of God. They confessed that the work of uh, uh, was wonderful, but they also confessed greatly that yes, the tongues were wonderful, but the work of God, as they declared, that these people evidenced that the gospel of Jesus Christ was the wonderful work of God. We do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God, the amazing works of God. They were amazed. That means they're thrown out of the position. That means they didn't believe these things before. And, 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 they're, and they're, it says they doubt or they're at a loss or perplexed. They, they, they had, being yet unsaved, but hearing the wonder and the beauty of the gospel, they were unsettled to say the least. So they were amazed and in doubt. 
Don't be surprised when you tell somebody something pertaining to the wonderful works of God that they're amazed, might be even excited, but they're perplexed. Think back of old Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Wasn't he amazed and perplexed? And Jesus Christ himself said, how are you a teacher and you don't know this stuff? He was amazed. Can I go back into mama and be born again? What do you mean? Be born again. Perplexed in the gospel of Christ. You also have these mockers. You know, here the people of God are going out testifying in the wonderful works of God and the Lord gave them ability and they were excited about it and there's mockers out there. When some people don't understand, that's the first thing they do is they start teasing, mocking, wagging their head. Think of two thieves. They didn't understand Jesus was the Christ and they were both wagging their heads. Then all of a sudden, by the power of God, one did understand his mocking ceased. People understand who God is. And what Jesus Christ did and what the Lord's assembly is, they stopped mocking. They really do. I know they stopped mocking because I stopped mocking. I know by the power of God and my salvation, I was there when the Lord saved me. But I stopped mocking those that testified of the gospel of Christ. And I stopped mocking those that were so, so diligent in representing his assembly. The mocking stops. Sometimes people, these in their mockings, they can be mean, they can be hurtful, they can be dismissive. It's a defense mechanism. They can belittle, they can do all kinds of stuff. It wasn't Peter's job to change what he was saying to satisfy the mockers, was it? In fact, as we're going to read, starting in verse 14, he clarifies, he doubled down, he doubles down. On the idea of what had already been spoken by these people in, in verses uh, between verses 1 and 13. In no way, shape, or form is mocking supposed to stop the people of God. Did it stop Jesus Christ when he was mocked? Did it stop him? Well, the reason I ask that, I'm not, I'm not the Lord and you're not either. But if the Lord promised to be with his assembly... That also means it's not supposed to stop us. Because if he's going to continue with his assembly in a local sense until the end of the age, that means his local assembly will continue with him until the end of the age. And if he doesn't stop at mocking, neither will his assembly. And I say mocking, read through Hebrews chapter 11. Sometimes those mockings came with death and all kinds of other things. What's greater? What's greater? I believe the greater is the witness of Jesus Christ. Here is the, here is the essence of the book of Acts, again, wrapped up in chapter 1, verse 8. Ye shall receive a power or ability after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and in the most part of the earth. If that reauthentication were supposed to be uh, continual, then when he authenticated himself in Jerusalem, then when they went into Judea, he'd do it again. In Samaria, he'd do it again. And, then, and everywhere else, he'd do it again. He doesn't do that. He did it once. He said, you shall receive power once and then continue on. So what are we supposed to do with this? What's it all about? Being his witness. That's what chapter 2, verses 1 through 13 is all about, is being the witness of Jesus Christ according to his gospel. Taking it to those who are outside 
Yes, confirming inside in one accord, in one place. I thank God for our times when we can get together and assure and provoke in love and good works pertaining to things of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ from his word. But if all we do is sit in this building with the proverbial mighty wind and the tongues of flames and never do anything with it, well, just apply that principle to Acts chapter 2 and see how foolish that looks. No, we are to go outside with the good news and wonderful works of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ and tell every single person about it. Be the witness of, of Jesus Christ according to his gospel. A witness gives a personal testimony. Don't tell him what he did for others. I believe the 120 went out saying, this is who Jesus Christ is, this is what he did, and this is what he did for me. I believe they gave personal Account, personal witness and testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I believe that standard is how we're to operate as well. Yes, this is what Jesus, the Lord Jesus did. Born of a virgin, the Son of God, lived an impeccable life, died, was buried and rose again for sinners, and he's coming back soon. But let me tell you how he did it for me. I was dead in trespasses and sins. God, the Spirit of God, showed me my sinful case before the Almighty God. Showed me my desperate need. Showed me my desperate want. Showed me that before God I was ill and vile and rebel against Him. How that I deserve the wrath of God. And Jesus Christ bore that wrath instead. Setting me free. Free to live for Him. Free to live forevermore. And so it is with everyone who trusts the gospel of Jesus Christ. Tell somebody that. Tell him what he did for you. That sounds simple. Peter's going to clarify this whole idea. What they just heard, and we're going to look at that again next time. But the whole idea is a presentation of the gospel. That's what it comes back to, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Children of God, just as much as the Lord was God, he delivered Israel and gave them a charge at Sinai. So he did deliver his people, he organized his assembly, and he gave them charge and authenticated them way back when. And that has not changed. Guess what? As long as there's a Jew left alive on this earth, I believe the Lord has continued his assembly. I know there's at least 144,000 because there's got to be in the book of Revelation. Men, pure-blooded of each tribe. That's, that's an amazing thing altogether. An idea for a different day. But being Christ witnessed with ability and the language you have. Are you given ability to go out and speak Swahili or whatever? No, but you have, a, you have a tongue, you have a language. Use what ability God has given you to testify the wonderful works of God. Noise abroad, what wonderful salvation the Lord Jesus Christ brought to sinners, namely our own selves, to the poor and to the needy. Give account to all manner of people in words they can understand by God's grace. I can't make someone believe, but I can sure talk over somebody's heads. That's no good for anybody. And I can also talk in such a way that just confuses people, and that's not good for people either. There will be some that are, that are confused and confounded. There will be some that are mocking. There are some people that dismiss and just keep on trucking. But tell them all just the same. By God's grace, the Lord will save his people from their sins. He will. Every last thinking one of us, the people of God, shall be saved. And I, I take great comfort in that. It relieves me of a great responsibility in that I can't save anybody. 
but I sure am responsible to tell every single one. Sinner, hear that gospel. Repent, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and by the power of God, hear and experience the wonderful works of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.